Welcome, I'm Sirius Afshar, and this is the Wigos Informal Economy Podcast, Social Protection. In this podcast, we will discuss some of the most pressing issues related to the linkages between the informal economy and social protection, including debates around workers' health provision, pension schemes for older workers, as well as childcare systems and other social protection policies for informal workers in order to improve their livelihoods. But before we start this episode, I invited Laura Alfers, our Social Protection Program Director, to share the news. Our podcast is entering a new phase. Hi, Laura. Hi, Sirs. So, Laura, as I mentioned, Wigo's Informal Economy Podcast, Social Protection, and our Social Protection Briefing Notes are entering a new stage in which we are going to integrate the two and take a systems perspective. Can you explain what this is about and the idea of this approach? Yes, it's exciting to be moving into a new phase of our podcasts and briefing notes, which we hope will continue to be a useful resource both in and outside of the WeGo network. And we hope that bringing them together will add greater coherence to these resources so that they speak to one another better. The social protection programs, uh, which informal workers are increasingly coming into contact with, are the products of systems. There are many parts which come together to produce a social protection program. And if we are to upgrade the understanding of social protection within the WeGo network, which is at least in part the rationale behind the podcasts and briefing notes, uh, we need to have a better understanding of these components and the implications for inclusive social protection programs and where and how informal workers are finding problems accessing social protection systems, where, you know, where within the systems are informal workers struggling to gain access and where are, do the opportunities lie for, for making these components more accessible. At the same time, we are, you know, this is not just about a systems approach. We are hoping to use these products to explore how workers in the informal economy are experiencing social protection programs as they roll out on the ground. There has been a great interest in social protection since COVID. We assume that momentum is going to continue to a certain degree and we assume that more and more social protection programs are going to be trying to reach informal workers. And we want to track how that is being experienced from the ground up, providing a bottom-up perspective to a policy sphere that is often very dominated by top-down perspectives. And the issue of technology in social protection systems will come out strongly in this new stage of the podcast and the briefing notes. What is the importance of discussing this topic in relation to social protection for informal workers? Yeah, digitization will feature strongly as a theme. It's certainly not the only theme, I should point out, but it is going to be an important one. And I think it's an unavoidable something on which we we have to start focusing. I think the digitization of social protection systems is progressing rapidly from databases to registries to the use of digital payment methods and so on. And this was sped up fairly rapidly again by the experiences during COVID. And it's something that we see as a trend. And then I guess in the same vein as the systems, there are risks and opportunities for informal workers in these developments. Digitization can certainly make things more accessible, more inclusive. If we think about, you know, mechanisms that can help to reduce the time cost of getting access to schemes and the ease with which people can check 
make up on their savings and so on. But it's not an inevitability, and I don't think we can see it as such. And there are very real risks that digitization can make things even more unfair, particularly where digital divides do exist uh, in many of the places in which we work. It could also be more punitive and may redirect public resources away from, from where it is really needed as well. So I think part of the work we want to do here is track digitization where it is possible for us to do so within the methodologies we are using and to see where things are working well for workers of informal economy and where we, we sense that dynamics are less positive. Uh, this new phase will use a building blocks approach. Can you tell us what these building blocks of social protection systems are so that the listeners will know what issues they can expect in the coming episodes? So I mentioned earlier that social protection is, is more than just a collection of programs that are being rolled out, right? In order for these programs to exist and provide effective coverage in an inclusive manner, a whole range of elements have to work together, actors, processes, platforms, and institutions. And these are what we mean when we talk about the building blocks of social protection. So if we want to understand how to improve social protection programs for informal workers, we need to think about which parts of these systems are doing well, which are not doing so well and how we can strengthen each part of the system so that they work better together. And we feel that producing a set of briefs which summarize the latest knowledge on various parts of the building blocks from an informal worker perspective, complemented by podcasts which talk more to informal worker experiences, we can get a handle on what's working and what's not and help the movement of workers in the informal economy to develop our position on how we feel these building blocks could work better together. Uh, for this series, um, as we envisage it now in this first iteration, we've used as inspiration the idea of social protection as a solar system, which we picked up from Valentina Barker's work. And this brings the building blocks together into, if we imagine the sort of center of the solar system and then rings around the center. At the center of the solar system are the policy issues, the law, governance, financing, and so on. The second ring focuses on program design issues. So how we're designing the program eligibility, you know, which has, it also has huge implications for, for how suitable programs are for, for workers in the informal economy. And then a third rung, which looks at, at issues of implementation and delivery. So we will use these three rungs to structure what we produce. Obviously, as I've alluded to, there are subcategories within each of those rungs, but that is the, the basic organizing structure around which we plan to work. In the first episodes of the Systems Mapping Building Blocks approach, we will dive into the topic of financing social protection schemes for informal workers. Finance is one of the key elements of the social protection solar system and it is particularly challenging in the case of informal workers who in many cases don't have the employer to share the burden of costs of healthcare, pensions, childcare and other labor benefits. We will learn more about two experiments of alternative financing of social protection and decent work for waste speakers in Pune, India and in Buenos Aires, Argentina. First, I talked to Lakshmi Narayan, the founder of the Waste Speaker organization KKPKP, researcher, advocate for the rights of waste speakers and a strategic advisor to various waste speakers organizations in Pune. In the second part, you will listen to our conversation with Andres Kappa. Andres is a lecturer 
at the Faculty of Economics at the Universidad Nacional Lomas de Zamora and at the Universidad de Buenos Aires and researcher at the Observatorio de Coyuntura Económica y Políticas Públicas. They both will tell us more about how workers' movement managed to use extended producer responsibility framework to leverage advances towards the extension of social protection and better work conditions in their respective countries. And now, let's hear our talk with Lakshmi Narayan. Lakshmi Narayan, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Cyrus. Okay, so before we dive in, can you briefly explain what KKPKP is, where it works, who are the members, etc.? So KKPKP is an acronym for Kagad Kach Patra Kashtikari Panchayat, which translates really as Paper Glass Metal Workers Association. It's a trade union of waste pickers and itinerant waste buyers, which was registered in the year 1993, and it works in the cities of Pune and Pimpri Chinchwad in the state of Maharashtra in India. It has a membership of around 10,000 waste pickers and itinerant waste buyers, most of whom are women, and a large number of whom are Dalit from the scheduled castes uh, of India. The organization is democratically run, and the board of the organization reflects the demographics of the membership. So broadly, that's the organization. Excellent. Can you briefly tell us about the existing social protection schemes in India that informal workers can access? What do they offer and what are the shortcomings and how do they relate to the struggle for better social protection? Uh, broadly, the social protection schemes in India would fall into more or less two categories. That is the schemes that informal workers can access. Some are tax-financed cash transfer schemes under the National Social Assistance Program. They have very rigorous eligibility criteria and they're usually meant for persons with specific vulnerabilities like widowed or destitute women, disabled, elderly and so on. They are usually exclusionary. They require a lot of documentary evidence. They're very limited in their reach. And unfortunately, there's not much awareness about these schemes. Apart from these, there are uh, life, disability, accident insurance and pension schemes. These are self-financed and they are available to all bank account holders. They are largely implemented through the banking system. They are uh, supposedly universal because they have been promoted as part of our government's push for financial inclusion. However, they are very limited again by illiteracy and the financial and digital illiteracy of the working poor. Apart from this, there are some contributory social protection schemes which have been implemented specifically by certain sectors or for certain sectors through either sector-specific boards like uh, there's a Mathadi board for head load workers, there are construction workers boards, there are domestic workers boards and so on. They all follow slightly different patterns. So, for instance, the Mathadi or the head load workers board requires that uh, employers and uh, workers register with the board and the employers are additionally required to pay a certain levy, which is in addition and usually a proportion of the workers wage to the board. And this levy is used by the board to actually cover provident fund contributions, workmen's compensation, insurance, as well as the administration of the board. So that's one kind of sector-specific board which provides social security for a certain sector of workers. 
and in this case it's literally an individual worker so an individual worker is paid both for his or her labor as well as the levy in proportion to their labor and to their wage the construction workers board is slightly different the employers pay a cess and that cess it's like a common pool of resources and it goes towards insurance education and other benefits which go to registered construction workers from the pool of resources but there's no direct one to one relationship between the specific say builder or employer who's covering that cost and the individual worker they're not registered in a one on one relationship unlike in the mathadi board so there are these kinds of examples of sector specific boards as well unfortunately in all these three kinds of schemes the biggest challenge is the low levels of literacy low levels of awareness and uh, negotiating access to the schemes is fairly tough there's a lot of paperwork people do not have access to internet they're digitally not as literate as in many other countries the infrastructure for this is not very good unfortunately they also fighting with the uh, government systems that are not very accountable not very efficient perhaps not very sensitive and they're not hand holding or supporting workers through the whole process and due to this sometimes it costs a worker more to negotiate the access than what a scheme actually provides so they just choose to stay out of it thank you for situating the landscape in india for us so one common challenge self employed informal workers face is to advocate for social protection schemes that can meet their needs but don't require them to carry the entire financial burden alone since many of them do not have an employer to share the costs is it possible to create schemes that other actors can contribute as well so yes i do think it is possible to do that and broadly when we say self employed we are referring to workers who don't have a legally defined or a definable or designated employer but if one understands it in the larger context where all labor or work ultimately definitely benefits some individuals or some sections of society and can be in some sense maybe linked to a value chain one can always indirectly attribute certain people who are benefiting from that labor and consider them as deemed employers and actually usually if one particularly in value chain kind of context like in waste management one can clarify or break up the entire value chain and that makes it easier to determine who all can be considered say the beneficiaries of the labor and therefore indirect let's say employers who should ideally be co-contributing towards social protection of the workers so like i said earlier the mathadi actually does provide a precedent for this where the employer who is actually hiring the head loader is not an employer strictly they are not actually employing them for a 8 hour day but they are using their service and they are benefiting directly from the labor and so they are deemed employers and certain specific social welfare social protection provisions are uh, payable by them through the levy so i think that model definitely can be extended in some way for other workers the challenge really is going to be institutionalizing it in a legal framework where one can also clarify the role of the government within it recognizing again as i mentioned earlier the challenges of inefficiency poor accountability maybe lack of sensitivity some levels of apathy corruption perhaps and therefore limited faith that workers have in the government's ability a concern of workers that the government is usually more sympathetic to the employer or the user of the labor as a consumer and all of this sometimes makes it very easy or tempting for workers organizations to try and work directly with the potential users of labor and try and claim some of these benefits directly but it's not a sustainable option obviously one needs the government to also be part of this institutional framework one can also look overall at special taxes for 
say high net worth individuals or taxing inheritance or wealth or a luxury tax that can specifically go towards raising revenue for self employed kind of workers so i do think it's possible to get a kind of employer or figure out some social protection schemes that can meet the requirements of workers without them carrying the financial burden alone even though there is no clear defined employer so in your study you have found that kkpkp has managed to pressure the local authorities in pune and different stakeholders to co-finance social protection for way speakers can you tell us more about how this process came about Uh, I would say it's been a combination of pressure, but also research, evidence-based data, setting up institutional practices within the mass-based organization, within the trade union itself, convincing base picker members themselves also, and sometimes even literally just appealing to the sensitivities of citizens. So it's been a combination of all of that. Within base pickers, as I said earlier, we try to break up the value chain to see who all benefit from the labor, and obviously there are some clear categories. There's the municipality. which directly benefits because waste pickers keep cities clean and reduce solid waste management handling costs then there are citizens who are indirectly benefiting because the urban local body benefits because their taxation i mean the tax they would otherwise pay the city is reduced because of the informal labor of waste pickers there's industry which directly benefits and when one is talking about industry one can literally go all the way from the scrap trader who buys their material all the way to the recycler and the user of the raw material of the raw recycled material for other products so there are a number of players who benefit in that sense from this labor and one could look at each of them as potentially individuals or sectors that contribute to social welfare benefits and that's what we try to do it strictly speaking i i'm not sure i agree with splitting it across some sources of revenue as social protection and some as let's say better wages or better earnings but i would say that it would be more important to build in a component of both in all these sources that one is looking at so for instance if one is looking at uh, epr or municipality instead of municipality governing and determining the terms of work so that a waste picker earns a formal living wage and negotiating with the municipality to ensure that that wage is a decent wage and it is annually reviewed and increased and so on one can also add a component of a levy to it instead of looking at say industry or the scrap traders only paying the social protection cost because it's better to add on social protection i feel to the core cost of any of the aspects of the labor that a waste picker provides of course i mean uh, to start with all of this presupposes that the work itself is recognized endorsed and particularly in the case of waste picking there is some kind of an institutional mechanism to support it because without the work and the labor itself sustaining and without workers having some kind of established tenure within it there is no almost no point in talking about social welfare benefits waste pickers first need the work and only then they're going to talk about the social welfare benefits which are add-ons in a sense for a worker who literally needs an at least enough of a wage to just survive so in that context a lot of our struggle started off with first arguing that the municipality provide identity cards for the work waste pickers recognizes that this is meaningful work and we had to do that through a combination again of struggle protest march sitins and use some creative approaches like tying large kind of friendship bands around the municipal building and telling the municipality that we take care of your environment what are you doing for us and then convincing the commissioner to issue i cards for the waste pickers and of course 10 years later around 2007 we also argued for the waste pickers to get integrated or kind of formalized in waste collection and 
to some extent, social protection makes sense only because these two things were possible, that the work was recognized and then there was some kind of model that they got integrated in waste collection into. So the legitimacy of the work is primary and there needs to be a process, a system to get that going. In terms of, like I said, combination of multiple things, when we started the union, we were trying hard to discuss with the waste pickers the possibility of them paying for their own life insurance cover. It was a very small amount, but it was big obviously for them it would perhaps be days wages which they had to pay for a year for a year of cover and it would only cover death and i remember we had a lot of discussions with the waste pickers to see if there was any willingness for them to invest in it themselves because this was literally in the year 98 when the only thing the waste pickers had by way of recognition from the municipality was an identity card the municipality was not actually investing any money towards anything for the waste pickers as such. And uh, we had, of course, as a trade union, started many activities. We had a credit society and waste pickers took loans from the credit society, repaid it. And these kind of activities were going on. There were activities for the education of the next generation, children of waste pickers and so on. But from the municipal perspective, the only thing that had been, let's say, achieved or provided was an identity card. And in the first year, we had 100 waste pickers who signed up for insurance and actually paid the premium amount themselves. But in the second year, it so happened that there were three members of the credit society who unfortunately died and they died with loans on them which we really couldn't get anyone to repay because their spouses were not willing to repay it. Their children couldn't be expected to repay it. They were very small children. And then the membership recognized that we have to take collective responsibility and ensure that our health is protected, not only for our own children and maybe our families, but also for the organization because the organization is actually providing loans. Some other member is actually standing as collateral or putting in savings due to which I'm able to access a loan. And if I die tomorrow, all of them are also going to suffer. So some of these processes of internal pressure and group accountability also worked and uh, over a couple of years the number of waste pickers who were ensuring that they were covered under insurance through their own earnings paying their own amount was in the thousands we had around 5000 waste pickers who would pay their premium themselves so it did start off like that there were definitely processes where the waste pickers also took on that responsibility we did, of course, very much want the municipality to cover it. And the year 2000, we did a formal study with the International Labour Organization. And we actually established what the savings to the municipality is due to the work of waste pickers and argued that the municipality should cover them under an insurance program, which the municipality agreed to. Even the Swatch model itself. Swatch is a cooperative of waste pickers running front-end waste management services. The Swatch model is actually pro-poor private-public partnership started by the KKPKP and the Pune Municipal Corporation in an effort to integrate waste pickers into solid waste management by authorizing them to collect waste from door to door. So waste pickers in Pune, around 3,600 of the 10,000 waste pickers of KKPKP, do not collect waste with a sack and a rake like they used to 20 years ago, but they go around with a push cart and they go around house to house and cover a certain pocket and collect waste. They are paid by the citizens. They pay the user fee that the citizens give them and they have access to the recyclables that they collect from the citizens. This is a model that works in the city of Pune, not even in the city of Pimpri Chinchwar. It's a very, very city-based model. And the model itself, it has been running for 15 years. In the first year itself, we had actually proposed some welfare benefits linked to the model itself, saying that the model costs the municipality much less then the municipality would have had to spend in actually running a waste collection system directly. And so again, 
based on the arguments and the calculations done around that we argued that the municipality should cover the waste pickers under not just the life insurance scheme but another health insurance scheme and some other welfare benefits including some linked to education of children of waste pickers healthcare are all covered through the municipality paying the premium so like i said part of that is advocacy part of it is using research and data part of it is waste pickers actually lobbying around the municipality and pushing for the municipality to cover them under these schemes apart from that the union also runs a number of activities we run cooperative scrap stores and we have some institutional mechanisms so the scrap stores that we run so a waste picker collects waste from the streets or the bins or from households and segregates the recyclables and sells it to a scrap dealer who then sells it to a wholesaler who then sells it to a recycler that is broadly is the value chain and we run a few cooperative stores where the waste pickers sell the material and they also make a kind of profit annually based on the sales that the scrap shop has made and this this profit is redistributed among the members annually again as a kind of bonus but they also pay a component of this bonus back to the union which goes towards social protection of other workers recognizing again that not all workers are benefiting from the cooperative store we run only four stores whereas potentially we would need to run 100 if we want to cover all the members and since we are not able to do that the workers who benefit from such a store pay some small contribution as part of their profits towards that in the same way the swatch members since they benefit from a more assured income better conditions of work each of them pays a fixed amount each month that goes into a fund that supports various other livelihood options that could be used to improve the lot of waste pickers who are not part of the swatch model so some of these activities uh, in a sense revenue earning but there's an effort to ensure that that revenue goes back not only to the same waste pickers who are contributing to it but also towards a larger membership maybe people who are not directly contributing to it as well it's an effort to spread the net wider Mm. So moving on the report you wrote suggests the potential to co-found social protection extension to better working conditions using the extender producers responsibility tool but currently informal workers are not part of this framework how do you think EPR can be used to fund social protection extension for informal workers in India So extended producer responsibility holds the producer responsible for the impacts of what they produce and requirely manage the recycling the reuse or the disposal of the materials they produce and as part of the global movement of waste pickers we strongly endorse that for any EPR to happen in a waste picker inclusive way it means that a waste picker needs to get better returns for the material that he or she retrieves and this should either be a viability gap funding because the market prices for those materials are not already attractive enough for the material to be collected by them so there are some materials that are inherently attractive because they sell at a much better price and a waste picker will retrieve it but there are some materials that are far lower in the recycling chain because they are either very voluminous and light and it's not viable to pick it up the transport costs for taking them from one place to the other are very high or the rate that they get on sale are very low now these items will only get retrieved if there is some kind of viability gap funding that the producer is made to take because the market price itself is not attractive enough for the material to be picked up so in such cases we feel that there has to be firstly a viability gap funding that is the producer's responsibility if one is holding the producer accountable even in an environmental sense to handle all the materials that they are producing 
apart from this for every material that a waste picker is actually collecting and retrieving he or she is in some sense subsidizing industry because all of them are doing it at very often less than minimum wages not with statutory compliance the scrap dealers to whom they sell employ workers and are not necessarily paying them statutory wages they're not complying with all the minimum wage as well as the environmental norms and if one actually had to bring that entire sector within the net then costs for recycling will go up and therefore industry should be paid i mean even today a waste picker is subsidizing the industry and so for all materials there should be some kind of an additional levy or call it what you will call it assess but this cost should go towards perhaps social protection but this is over and above the core cost or the rate for the material itself being high because they're two separate things i feel like i said i wouldn't really say all epr should do is fund social protection epr should ensure that materials become possible viable and actually do get picked up because they are viable to pick up and that requires a cost covering or a viability gap funding that needs to be much bigger and then there needs to be a levy which can be a small kind of percentage which could go towards an additional social protection cost i would say each source should have uh, some component that goes towards social protection and some towards just ensuring that the core labor is paid better for that same work so say in pune in the pune model citizens pay the waste picker a fixed amount each month which goes towards what we are calling their wage but if we want to add a social protection i mean not if we want to we do want to add a social protection component and that should be over and above that and it should perhaps go into a resource pool and then be used to cover waste pickers under sp- certain specific schemes the same to do with the municipality the municipality is paying waste pickers or paying the management of swatch towards the running of swatch in addition it is covering the waste pickers under certain specific social protection schemes the recycling value chain if one looks at it should first ensure that the rates for the materials are viable and then it should add to that a certain social protection component or cess broadly that's what i'm arguing Mm. And and do you think this principle could be adapted to be applied to other types of informal workers and other value chains so that those who benefit from labor of informal workers would contribute to their social protection? Absolutely in principle this is very doable I mean whether one is looking at domestic workers or gig workers or construction workers one could certainly apply this principle the challenge really is that ultimately in most of these forms of labor the direct beneficiary is usually the consumer and the moment we create an institutional framework that uh, needs to bring in and target every single potential consumer who is an everyday citizen we have to recognize that government is often very hesitant or unwilling to take enforcement mechanisms literally to every citizen's doorstep it is a challenge both because of the large magnitude of the problem and the enforcement issues that they will have to deal with and the mechanism they will need in place as well as because of the potential unrest or protest from citizens so one needs to build the mechanism into policy with government playing some kind of key governance role without requiring the government to actually benefit from this directly but the government playing a governance role so say for domestic workers having the employers who are benefiting from the work of domestic workers contribute towards a fund which then goes towards the individual worker either for pension benefits or healthcare insurance and so on or if one is looking at uh, app based workers who say drive us around drop material one can easily add a surcharge to the cost of that service and that surcharge could go towards every individual worker's social protection but the mechanism to do that will need that the government actually takes a clear stand on it negotiates with the app based providers with the workers and actually has good strong tripartite systems where 
the worker and the employer are both sitting across the table and talking about what such social protection systems will actually cost. So to wrap up, what do you think are the main opportunities and challenges to these alternative strategies of co-financing social protection to inform workers and the main learnings you have found in conducting this study? Um, so, of course, opportunities are, in a sense, really not explored to the fullest. We ourselves in KKPKP are trying to explore more possibilities and there's a long way to go both in articulating it fully, discussing it enough with the membership and then with all the other uh, beneficiaries or stakeholders, like I say, and with other sectors even more so. So there needs to be uh, open discussion and articulation of how this might look. The real challenge, I think, is that finally many sectors directly or indirectly do come back to the consumer and it might soon be a very thin line between what a consumer is willing to pay and whether adding too much surcharge like this will actually diminish the number of people who are availing of a service at all. Uh, so it's a thin line between determining what the appropriate amount is that needs to be added on to the cost for many of these services and what is also a minimum decent livable standard wage. And one has to toe that line carefully and ensure that one price it carefully so that one doesn't lose a consumer base and therefore ultimately lose the work in the process. But obviously not peg it so low that workers are suffering due to it. Lakshmi Narayan, thank you very much. Pleasure, Cyrus. And now... Let's hear about the case of the Argentinian experiment of financing social protection extension and decent work to informal workers with Andres Capa. Andres Capa, welcome to our podcast. Hi, Cyrus. Thank you for having me. Great. So, Andres, in your study, you have found that workers' organizations use an extended responsibility framework to realize better work conditions and improved access to social protection for way speakers. Can you tell us more about how this process took place? Well, actually, there is now a packaging bill. This is a draft law in the Congress. But this bill is based on an existing reality that workers have now in some cities a system with social inclusion of cooperatives. So now, for example, capital city in Buenos Aires, there are six 1,500 workers that are formalized in cooperatives included in the management of recycling waste, collection, transport, treatment, and commercialization into the value chain. And this system, we call it in Spanish HIRSU, has brought a lot of benefit for uh, the workers in terms of the working conditions. For example, the workers have a monthly fixed income obtained from the government, and then they have an income that cooperative came from the selling of the material in need to the industry as an input. They have formalization through the, call, we call it social monotributo, that is a system for self-employed workers that give them health and pension coverage and uh, social security. And they have a licensing scheme, pregnancy, maternity, adoption, marriage, study, leave, illness, etc. Um, they have access to care spaces to avoid situation of child labor. All these working conditions that are improved in comparison to workers that are not included in this kind of systems, agreement with the cooperatives and the government, the main objective of the packaging bill is to extend this system for provide a social protection and 
better worker conditions for all waste picker workers in the country. So the EPR concept is the argument that the workers use because this packaging bill is elaborated by the uh, waste picker federation, by the, by the union of waste pickers. That is a very important thing. It's a proposal from the workers that essentially have two central goals. The first one is an environmental goal. Minimize the impact on the environment caused by packaging disposal. But the second is an inclusion goal. It's include the waste pickers in the integrated packaging management process. And there are three central aspects of the packaging bill. First and most important is the payment of an environmental tax by companies. This tax is an EPR-based tax. So companies finance the social inclusion local packaging management systems with the participation, obviously, of the waste pickers cooperatives. The second aspect is the social inclusion. And the third is the direct intervention of the state in terms of control and transparency of the quantities and values of the materials. That is very important because in practice, we can have a, a law, an EPR legislation, but in practice, it doesn't work if the state doesn't control the companies regarding to the quantities and the prices. These three central aspects of the packaging bill that aim to better condition of the waste picker workers. Excellent. Can you tell us more about the extended responsibility legislation state at the moment in Argentina in relation to funding of social protection extension? Well, at this moment, there is low EPR legislation. Enforce the funding of the actual functioning system now, they are not based on legislation, but based on direct agreements between some cooperatives and the union of cooperatives, it's national, and some local governments that come to a particular agreement that repeats in some local municipalities to establish this integrated system with the waste pickers in every city with the cooperatives that include from gathering the material in the street with trucks, the transportation and the treatment, and then the commercialization. But there is no EPR law in force yet. The discussion of EPR legislation is the packaging bill, I just comment, and the main argument regarding the EPR is that the corporations who directly benefit from the labor of informal workers has a responsibility to contribute to the financing of social protection, and in this case, more broad than social protection, to the improve of worker conditions in general. Because there is an indirect worker exploitation, because the waste pickers are not direct employees of these corporations, but they provide the essential input in the value chain, that is the material that corporations use to recycle and manufacture paper, cardboard, plastic and glass packaging. So today we have around 100,000 workers in cooperatives, but we have many more workers outside the cooperatives that are totally informal and they suffer indirect exploitation from the corporations. So the packaging bill uses the EPR concept to make this corporation to pay for the social inclusion and a better worker condition for this segment of workers. One of the things that this packaging bill is aimed to finance is the social monotributes. In English, it's monotax, it's one tax. That's one tax that gives coverage of health and pensions to all the workers that are self-employed. And this is the mechanism uh, we have in Argentina to bring social security to the workers. But there are others things like security and hygiene, working materials, machinery, all the things that 
lower the time of work in a day because the income of the workers increases, so they have to work less hours if they are in a cooperative with a social inclusion scheme. So all this is the aim of the packaging bill that is discussed, and all this would be financed by a tax paid by the corporation, an EPR tax. So can you mention some of the work condition improvements these informed workers could now enjoy after this new finance mechanism was implemented? Mm -hmm. Today, the reality of these uh, workers are very precarious. If with this law can change that and finance the extent of the system management by the cooperatives, the improvement of the working conditions are huge. First, they have an increased income. Most important, more income for their work because the cooperative can negotiate better with the industry and we set aside the intermediaries. Second, they have a fixed income, a complementary income, direct from the state. So they have a variable income depending on the cooperative sales, but the government use the collect tax to pay a complementary wage fixed. Third, they have the formalization through the social monotributo with social security coverage that other workers dispersed don't have. They license schemes if they get ill, the access to the child care spaces for leaving the, their child to care during the day. So there are all these aspects that in the system, inside the cooperative social inclusion system, workers can have that outside the system they don't have. So today, the majority of the white speakers, they don't have this. But with the packaging bill, they could have it. And there are actually some cities that have this system, but with the law, eventually, we can extend this system to all the workers. And this is crucial because the corporations, some of them agree with the environmental aspect. They say, okay, we cause with the packaging some negative externality. So we agree we have to be responsible to take care of that. But the thing that is resisted is the social inclusion, the payment of the EPR tax to the state so the state can extend social protection to the workers. And that is the main discussion now in the Congress with the corporation lobby. Uh, so how does this effort to finance social protection and decent work help these informal workers to be integrated into existing social protection schemes in Argentina? Well, regarding the social protection, in Argentina we have a system for the formalization of self-employed informal workers that is called the, the monotributo, monotax. With this system, self-employed workers can pay a low contribution to social security and pay a low value-added tax and income tax, and they have access to social security and formalization. We have then a special a monotributo called social monotributo, social monotax. That is a special regime specifically designed for low-income popular economy workers, and this regime allows the labor registration of activities within an annual gross income below around $3,000. And the payment for workers in social monotributo is very low, and they have access to contributory pension system and basic health care. So the state subsidies 50% of the social health protection and subsidies all the pensions contribution for these workers. And the value-added tax, they don't have to pay neither with social monotributo. So they only pay 50% of the cost of social health care, and they have all these benefits. On top of that, the packaging bill aims to 
also bring this working risk coverage for, for accidents in the world. So if they get ill during the work, they have a coverage for the treatment. The packaging bill regarding to social protection, this is the specific tool that will finance the coverage of these workers. Right. Thank you. So do you think this principle, this EPR principle, could be applied to other types of informed workers and other value chains so that those who benefit from the labor of informal workers would contribute to their social protection? Yes, absolutely. Here in Argentina and in Latin America, we have a high level of informality. Here, 43% of private sector salaried workers are informal. And if we are the self-employed informal workers, around near 50% of total workers are in the informal sector. So we think that informality at this level is caused by really a weak productive structure. In this context, that is a structural context, there's no way that contributory system alone could provide universal social protection in this situation. So non-contributory funding is needed. I arrived to two conclusions. In the first place, if we broaden the focus outside the environmental issue, EPR can be interpreted as the responsibility of company in general to finance social protection for all the workers, not only formal workers. The question is then who finance this protection, which brings us to the question of the design of tax systems. We have to improve progressive tax to finance universal protection. And EPR is, I think, a tool to do that. But beyond the EPR, in the long run, actually the, the most sustainable way to create formal and decent shop is through economic development, really. This is a path of economic Growth with industrialization, high-value sectors growing in the economy, and strong income distribution and welfare state policies. The EPR can help us to make this change of broaden social protection, but we think in the long run is a matter of economic development. So to sum up, what do you think are the next steps to be taken to further improve the working conditions and social protection for informal workers? Well, the main issue now regarding the packaging bill, but we can extend it to the social protection for our workers, is the opposition of the corporations to finance extent of coverage. So next step, we have to approve this law, this project. We have to uh, gain the consensus on the, on the society, on the Congress itself, to overcome the corporation lobbies and approve this EPR bill, the packaging bill, because this establishes a, a, a milestone that we can construct further from this to advance in other social protection for other groups and segments of workers. After that, that is a difficult work to do, we have to make the state, the government, strong enough to collect progressive tax from corporations to finance the extent of social protection in general, in reality, even outside the EPR idea that is mainly used now with environmental impacts. Excellent. Andres Kappa, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Cyrus. And if you want to learn more about the experiences of alternative financing for social protection extension in Argentina and in India, we will leave links to the reports of both cases at the description of the episode. And don't forget to follow Wigo in our social media channels, Twitter and Facebook to get the most updated publications, events and more. 
I am Sirius Afshar, and this was the Informal Economy Podcast, Social Protection. See you next time.